thank you for joining us here for episode four of the National Running Pod Show. We're really looking forward to this episode. So here's what's coming up. It's the man who ran 76 marathons in 76 days. Josh Paston tells us about this challenge and more. Jamie chats chafing with Mike as he switches the host seat for the hot seat. Trevor from Run3D talks through the tech of gait analysis. He's told us about the Great North Run in a previous episode, and now he's back to tell us about the 13 Valleys Ultra. Speaking of recurring guests, Emily from SIS is here to talk all things nutrition. And finally, in the advice section, Tom is here as an expert to talk us through fueling. And of course, our amazing sponsors, Runderwear, are giving away yet another £100 voucher. So check out this episode and all the vouchers in the previous ones as well. Without further ado, let's head straight over to our hosts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the National Running Show pod show. Thank you for coming back. We're still here, <laughs> four episodes in. We're doing all right, guys. How are you? All good, thank you. Yeah, great. Good stuff. Right, now, today, I want us to talk about tech. Now, there's, there's this big move in running. Like, we're getting a lot more information. We've got, like, Strava. We've got watches. We've got earphones. How do you feel about it? Do you use it? Are you into it? Do you go naked? Like, what do you think? I can't remember the last time I went for a naked run in the watch sense or the actual sense. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I yeah I can't. My watch broke a few years ago, and I went for a run without it, and it did feel like I was naked. Which I kind of never thought. Like when I started running, I had I had just like an analog watch that I used to. I remember doing my first ten k and squinting at it to see if I got under an hour, and I just never thought I'd be that person. But yeah, I, I always record my runs. And I think I do just like having a diary of them for me. Like, I love seeing what I did. And like, my dad's got a notebook where he's literally written every run he's been on for 20 years. And I guess it just needs the digital version yeah. of that. And that's um, the main thing I love about it. Is yeah. that to see your progression as a runner then? No, I, I, haven't prog- I haven't run a PB for six years. I've completely no progression whatsoever. I just, I think for me, because I just, I love running. It's like my favourite hobby. It's the thing I do on holidays. It's the thing I do with my friends. And I love it when Strava says, oh, you did this run three years ago. And then there's a photo of like an yeah. amazing, uh, yeah. it is just like a scrapbook almost. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I'm definitely addicted to it. I'm not, it's not always a good thing, but... I do love being able it's to tech see dependence, back. isn't it? Yeah. I think it's yeah, just you know, totally. across the whole yeah. life, yeah. it's tech dependence. But I, I ran in uh, Istanbul Marathon in November and I didn't wear a watch. Ooh. So I went naked How'd you for feel? the marathon. It was weird. It was weird, I'll be honest. I sort of got to the first K and I was like, oh, am I going to... I don't know. Were you going for a time? Yeah. Well, yeah. Did you go faster or slower? What did it do? Uh, So I ended up going through (laughs) halfway in 123. So it was a little bit... And what uh, did you want to go? uh, Yeah, about around it or just a bit, maybe a bit. I was a bit fast. I was a bit fast. Um, And it felt, I think it was quite good because I didn't know quite know how fit I was or not. Mm. Like I I, I didn't really know what I should be going for. And I thought... I've got, there's no real pressure here. I'm just going to take off my watch and just go for it. Um, and in the end, it was a headwind that did me. Um, that was 16K <laughs> into a headwind. So I was never going to run a, these, a really, really, really sort of PB, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. But it wasn't the tech. It wasn't the tech. I think it's quite, I, I think Strava in particular has done a lot for the running. I, yeah. I think I find it really supportive. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I, I quite like Strava because I like yeah. seeing my own personal mm. progression. Yeah. But, I kind of if if I do a run yeah. and I don't record it on Strava, it freaks me out. Yeah, do you guys? It is almost like it didn't count, even I... though I know I went for the run, which yeah. is. And I think it depends how you feel about it, isn't it? Because I've got a friend who gets really 
really bothered by like if she's ran a slower time and she, she'll hide her runs on Strava because it really gets her down and uh, I think if you're I guess like with any sort of social media if you are maybe like wired yeah, in a way that it, yeah, yeah. it does really bother you it's obviously not yeah. a healthy thing oh gosh yeah yeah, yeah. you've got to be protect you got to protect yourself I think if you yeah if, you're not, if it's not giving you a positive outcome yeah I think. yeah moving away from watches though <laughs> headphones yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I think they're, I mean, I, I don't know whether this is actually factually correct, but I remember a stat saying that you run 15% further and faster if you run to music. Is that right? I, I, think, it was, I, I, I think it was a Swedish university or something that came up with this stat. And they did a study and they said that you run 15% faster and... Yeah, Hashtag science. That. We've nailed that. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. a fact. That's, that's totally, yeah. Are you in the headphones gang or out? Definitely in bone conductors all the way. It means you can also hear your environment, which I think is really important. But I am completely tone deaf and can't clap in time. So I'm not really that into music in general, but I'm podcasts, like a wall-to-wall podcast. You've been pretty good at the start of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah but that was no, there's no beat to that. Ah, what <laughs> you it, won't hear from this, viewers and listeners, is that when we start recording, we all have to do a clap. And Elise is the only one of us that can actually clap properly because she's a yeah. natural grown-up. I mean, from, from, <laughs> from my side, I actually find on the longer runs, um, so when I do ultras and things like that, I actually really like not having music or podcasts. Mm. I kind of like switching mm. out. Yeah, I agree. When I'm doing an ultra, I actually never listen to anything. So I'll listen to podcasts back to back in all my training. But in any race, I never do. Even when not just like in a city marathon where it's really busy and buzzy. But um, yeah, like an ultra where you're alone on your trails, yeah. I still don't listen to anything weirdly. I think to me, race means at one with nature. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that's a good way to end that section. We would like to just remind you of the Runderwear competition. So follow the notes in the show notes and that will tell you how to enter the competition. Every episode we give away £100 of Runderwear vouchers. And also if you go to the Runderwear website and use the code PODSHOW, then you can get 10% discount. Um, Now on to our next guest. I've cut Mike off there slightly, but that's only because he's going on to say the wrong name, Silly Mike. Anyway, who we do have coming up is the amazing Josh Patterson. Hey, it's Elise, and I'm here chatting to Josh Patterson today, who I'm sure is going to tell us about... I mean, you've got so much going on, but I I guess a good place to start would be last year in May, you finished... A mega challenge, running yeah. 76 marathons yeah. in 76 cities. Yeah. Which, is that, am I right in saying probably your biggest challenge so far? Yeah, do you know what? It's mad. When I actually look back at, at the last several years and, and some of the challenges I've done, it's it's that's one of the, the biggest questions you'll get is being like, is this the biggest? Mm. It's so difficult to say because actually I felt worse in shorter challenges. Let's say it's like a 24-hour period. Um like things like John O'Groats Land's End I did in a wheelchair, that was 19 days. Even though Run for One Million was 76 days, the comparison, I don't know, like they're so brutal and amazing, but in their own way. I definitely know what you mean. Like I often say, like I've done quite a few ultras and big challenges. I think the hardest thing I've ever done is my half marathon PB. Yeah. Like it just, it's different types of difficult, yeah, I yeah. think. 100%, and I think that's what makes it so exciting, because I think if you just repeated the same thing every time, there probably would be a lack of interest, just because, you know, if, if you've proven that you're capable of doing one thing, why would the second yeah. be any different? So this was certainly taxing in the sense that it was over two months, and I think just the different types of terrain, cities, the weather conditions, it, it was... It was so unique, and the fact that we were basically sleeping in this camper van in some pretty 
questionable places. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, but in terms of the reaction to it, I think this was probably received better than any challenge I've ever done before. Because you had people running with you, didn't you, on, yeah. the, on the marathon? Yeah. So obviously, I guess it just gave people a chance to actually come and experience it 100%. with you. Because it's yeah. all well and good kind of watching it from afar, but yeah. like you literally could bring people along with you. Yeah. And it. Was that always the plan? 100%. So for me, this was the first time I was able to interact with yeah. people. And what was really important was that we had to make it as accessible for runners, whether they wanted to, to, to do 100 metres or yeah. they wanted to do a full marathon. The pace that we did it at, and I had this one rule where if you managed to maintain uh, a certain distance with us, so if you were with us until like the three-quarter okay. mark, even if that person was dropping considerably behind yeah. and that added two more hours onto the marathon, if we started together, we'd finish together. Okay. And we had so many individuals that came and joined who only had the ambition of running five or 10K and ended up running the full marathon yeah. with us, which was so special. Or people that had a certain distance where psychologically they had that block and they exceeded it mm -hmm. by running with other people because they were inspired. And I think for me, like the standout thing was I started in Inverness with one person yeah. running with me. And at the end, we crossed that finish line at Buckingham Palace with hundreds. Like We shut the place yeah. down. And um, that will be forever just one of the most special moments, I think, in my life. What do you think it was about it that made people feel like people who had never done that kind of thing before feel yeah. like they could get involved? I ask, because when I did my run around the coast, I quite a people come and run with me. Yeah. And I'd sometimes get somebody who'd never run more than 10K and they come and we do like a 20 plus mile day. And I beat myself up about, a lot about, oh, I'm not like the best runner, I'm not the fastest. But yeah. then reflecting on it, I think actually that's probably why those people came because yeah. they didn't think, oh, there, you're a super runner. Like, was yeah. that when you're thinking about how to communicate the challenge? Is yeah. that something you're consciously had in mind? 100%. The connection is the most valuable thing. Yeah. If you don't get the connection right, then... It's not to say the challenge won't be a success on a personal level. I'm sure it can. But I think if you're trying to, 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 I guess, get the message out there to a larger demographic, you're probably going to struggle. For me, it was really important from a, a, a number of different factors. From an ability point, yeah. as I said, I think just highlighting to individuals that this wasn't about running PBs in terms of time. Yeah. It was about unity and togetherness. And then the core message, which was to give a person a reason to live, for me, it was showcasing to individuals that vulnerability is strength yeah. and it's okay to feel a certain way and to express yourself. And there was a really powerful moment in the challenge where I hadn't realised. I basically told my team on the very first marathon that it was inevitable I'd get mm. injured and I'd sustain a lot of pain. But I had a stress fracture in my left foot and I tore my right calf. And this particular marathon, because the legs had gone, I physically couldn't run. Yeah. And it just... I started crying for... <laughs> pretty much an entire half marathon but that was the turning point where so many men started to come and run with me and open up where for them I'd completely shifted this this ideology of what weakness was originally if they saw a man crying it would be nah, not having that but the fact that I'd come off the back of 40 consecutive yeah. marathons from a physical point I'd earned their respect and change their perceptions altogether and their relationships with their wives or their children or their friends had changed where they felt more comfortable to express themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, I think you have to have a clear view for anyone that's watching this in terms of what it is that you're trying to achieve and how you're going to articulate that message to someone where they can digest it and connect with it. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful message. And I think it is shifting a bit. Because I think there used to be this thing that you ran and you got stronger and you got tougher. Whereas now I think it's fine to accept that. I, I like the message of like, 
I do this and I find it hard and it's difficult, but you can do it in spite of that rather than to kind of cure that. Yeah, like, yeah. it's always going to be hard. There's going to be hard times. You're going to cry. Yeah, I've got 100%. And it's good to do that. I think that's the powerful thing about running for me is that running's not, it's not cool. <laughs> it's, it's expressive. And I think it's the one time in your life where you can smell and look terrible and everyone be accepting of that because ultimately you are putting yourself through something that is so strenuous yeah. and there's such bliss to it i like the fact that i go into such a feral state in these challenges because i ultimately give myself to it where vanity just goes completely out the window yeah. it's just you're so focused on the performance and the outcome of it itself um and I, I think for me like this is just the greatest gift and opportunity to tr try and influence people in as many ways as possible to to come into this but to have that responsibility where hopefully we can guide them in the right way because i think certainly from a male point of view there are a lot of individuals out there that cater for a certain market where it's just about blood sweat <laughs> tears yeah. intense masculinity and i'm not saying that that's not a successful outcome but i don't think that caters for everyone yeah. so i think the more voices we have from more different backgrounds, connecting with as many different demographics as possible. That's how we can broaden, I think, the investment in this sport. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned your team a few times. So yeah. I always think when I watch these challenges, I'm yeah. like, the person doing it, incredible. But the, yeah. the team, like, they've got the hardest job, haven't 100%. they? 100%. How did you put the, put the team together? Like, How did that yeah. work? It's, it's taken time. So like, I... Whenever I had a couple of awards last year and there was a really special one at the Just Giving where I got everyone on my team over the past six years of every challenge I've ever done, yeah. I invited them as my guest and I got them to stand up and I said, the people that really should be on this stage right now is these guys. Yeah. These, they are the reason that I've succeeded. Now it's taken me so many years to get to the point where I've sieved out certain individuals. And for me, when it comes to the team members, it's the qualities they need yeah. to have. Which ones are going to push you? Which ones can empathise with your situation yeah. in terms of the emotional maturity as well um, and that resilient mindset? And so my team basically right now consists of a physio, soft tissue therapist, SNC coach, run coach, sometimes even just like a bit of a mentor and even yeah. a therapist. Okay. Therapy is really key yeah. when it comes to this because you are not only are you kind of... Um, subjecting yourself to other people's uh, stories and journeys, but you also have yours too. And I think it's really important to be able to maybe reflect on these experiences and express it to someone in a professional setting to kind of like release it. Otherwise it just kind of like builds it yeah. up the whole time. What was really special about my team for Run 4 Million though, was the fact that they went above and beyond. Uh, Simon, my biokinetics coach, joined me for a marathon in each of the four countries, okay. which meant a great deal. Sharon, my soft tissue therapist, the minute I was injured or in pain, I didn't even have to message her. She would fly to a different country to come help me, yeah. even if it was just for a couple of hours. Um, and they all ran their own distances. Everyone ran at least a marathon with me. And I just think when you have a team like that behind you, it just you know, for, it's like a safety net. Yeah. You just know you're safe. And Chris Taylor, my right-hand man on that challenge, he was phenomenal. Not only did this guy drive me from city <laughs> to city, but he pretty much ran every other yeah. day. One of the most powerful moments for me was somewhat at the beginning in Northern Ireland where him and I were running in a city called Armagh and it was rain and snow the entire time. It was freezing. He did the whole marathon with me to just keep me stimulated. Yeah. And then he did interval training on a treadmill straight <laughs> after. So when you surround yourself with exceptional yeah. people, you will achieve exceptional things.
more from Josh later, but now we switch into an alternate universe where Jamie is in the hot seat. Hi guys, uh, for today's kit section, I've got a bit of a special guest. It's Jamie! <laughs> so, as you know, Runderwear have kindly sponsored the podcast and have been a big part of the journey here, but actually what we wanted to do is talk to Jamie a little bit more about some of the products they have. So, welcome, mate. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Good. So, let's get into it. I really want to talk about your journey with Runderwear and actually, how did you, how did you come about setting up a clothing company? Where did yeah. that start? It's an interesting one. So I was I was running a marathon, ran New York and training, and I got awful chafing. And I mean, how bad are we talking? Near enough blood. Oh no! You've been there before, <laughs> I'm sure. Sorry, listeners, if you've all checked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I came back to my running club, and I was speaking to the guys, and we were out on a on a five parks training run around London, and we got back, and I said I told them about it, and they said. That's just part of marathon running. Like, sort of, just get on with it. That's it. And I just really? thought, yeah. And I just thought, when was this? How long ago was this? So that was two thousand and seven, I think, something that like that. That's mad. Yeah. So it's quite a long time ago. And and I and at that point, that was just the moment where I thought, why should we just accept this chafing? Um, so I I sort of just had it in my mind. I didn't really do anything about it right there and then. And then roll on a few years later, it started to get to a point where I thought, actually, I can develop this now. So just slowly formed a few prototypes and... Wait, how do you form, like, a prototype? Because that feels like a stretch. Well, I didn't have a textile background. Hmm. So I had to learn quite a lot and quite fast. um, And did quite a few I've done 265,000 miles around the world in airplanes I worked out over what yeah over so hang on you're just years. some dodgy dude straight out of the university and you're like you're going to factories and you're going can you make me some patterns uh yeah yeah I did a bit of research and got some advice from people I didn't just go in completely cold got some advice from the right people and then and then started learning on the job I mean you know I was going into places and people were talking the lingo I had no idea what these acronyms were and I was just sort of nodding my head googling it afterwards yeah 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 yeah, yeah, there was no AI so um (laughs) so I was like okay okay yeah that sounds great just writing it down as if like I'm going to have to translate this after. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really was like sort of starting from scratch. And then when um, you get, get from there yeah. to a prototype, I mean, were some of those early prototypes, I imagine, pretty ropey? Yeah, not great. I mean, to be honest, we were pretty good. Uh, there were some ergonomic changes that just needed to be made, and we did it mainly for men to begin with. And then other girls in the running club were like, well, hang on a second. We want. We also have the same issues as well. Um, and then asked them questions, got some feedback, and then we brought out one one style for women um, and one style for men. And that's how we started. Um, we took it to the London Marathon Expo, and we'd sold out within a couple of days. So it was, and it, that was it. And from there on, you know, I picked it up. Obviously, learning curve was pretty steep. And uh, yeah, 265,000 miles later, quite a lot of traveling over the years. Spending month a month at a time in, in the Far East. Um, yeah, it was it's hard. It's just one of those things that you, you now take for granted that you yeah. runners now run and you, you pick very carefully, and particularly yeah. men. Um, yeah. 
the type of underwear that you, yeah. you run in because it can have quite extreme consequences yeah. if you don't. Yeah, yeah. And it just feels weird that no one has spotted that gap in the market before you guys. I think, yeah, yeah. When I mean, we get some great stories now, like that come in on emails and people that come to our stands and say, oh my gosh, I couldn't have done that 100 miler without your product. And that's great because that's what we are. We're an enabler brand. We, we love that story, the, the ethos of the running community. You know, you're part of it, you know. And it's really, it's great to just have people that come and tell those stories and we've we've allowed them to run that 100 miles because of one certain product that might not have worked and we we had the same thing with with socks and different things and we'll talk about that in, in i think in another another episode but these are the products we love making because we get the great feel-good stories after as a brand no yeah, i think it's, it's cool so, so yeah. let's get techie about the product yeah sure so what what are they made of? What material so do you use? The difference and why? is so the difference is that um, if you can imagine your normal underwear is generally made on is cut and sew. So you'll have patterns which um, will be cut out and then sewn up on a sewing machine. That's effectively how a cut and sew product would be made. Uh, these are made on the best way to describe it is a three hundred and sixty degree sort of printing machine, but with yarn. As a po like a fabric, okay. so it comes out and it's circular. So explain it, explain that to me, yarn. Yeah. Okay. So the, yarn. Because so, you're now a textile guru, but no, I am not. No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, no, no. I'm I'm always always learning, but I'm a bit geeky now on on which which actual yarn we use. So you know you have like a bobble of wool. Yeah. It, um, you'll have the same, but it's not a bobble of wool. It's it's on a on a cone, yeah. and that then gets put onto a machine, and then it knits. It's pretty cool. Um, we have some footage on our Instagram, and 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 it knits it in a three hundred sixty. So there's there's different parts of the yarn um, on the machine. It all it knits it, and then it drops out at the end, and then we just have to seal it up. And we had to do quite a lot of trial and error on where to seal it up. So, so where do you seal it? So if you can imagine here, we, have, we, ha we seal it in positions where it won't chafe. Okay, yeah. so for our audio viewers, do you want to describe that? Yeah, so... Um, audio listeners, you audio. can't view audio, can you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's made on, it's 360 degree seamless technology. That okay. is what we're using as opposed to cut and sew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there has to be minimal amount of seams. That's what we want to, wanted to cut down. Because So it's the seams that give you the chafing? Is that uh, traditionally? Not always, not okay. always. Depends on the fabric, because if you run in, I think we've all been there where we've gone out on a, maybe a long run uh, with a cheap t-shirt, maybe some of the finisher t-shirts. Yeah, we've uh, all dare, seen dare I say it. those guys with the slight red stains. That's yep, it, okay. that's it, that's yeah. it. Um, so if you look at that, uh, that would be a cheap fabric, which may be quite abrasive on the skin. So yep. we wouldn't use that. So we use premium yarns, high quality i do i i go to actual fabric and yarn shows just talking about fabric and yarn for, for there's two a show days. about fabric and yarn yeah the national fabric and yarn show this might be my next idea uh, <laughs> okay yeah. so yeah, you good. so you go and so you've picked the, the premium yarn so that yeah. it, that's the bit that doesn't yeah. irritate the skin yeah. and right. we're now using recycled which is great Fantastic. So, so fully recycled so fully recycled so um we have now we did a lot of work on trying to source um fully recycled elastane so yep. that was the problem because it is a mix between polyamide and elastane and now we have a recycled elastane 
which is where I've been trying to get to, and now it's 100% fully recycled, and that will be coming through our ecosystem. Um, That's amazing. Years to come. Yeah, can so you recycle cool. these afterwards as well? Are they recyclable? Because, well, at the moment, no, because it's got a mixed, it's a mixed yarn. So yep. when you have something, anything that's mixed, it's difficult to recycle. Okay. So, no. I, I think in the future, we'll probably get to a point um, of a biodegradable, maybe, possibly. Yeah. I, uh, but again, that's why I go to the shows to keep on top of the technology as to like how it's come along. And when, when the tech is there, we try and use the latest and greenest, most sustainable uh, yarns we possibly can. I think that's the thing with sustainability and brands. I think people have to understand it's a journey. And, and as long as you're moving forwards, you're progressing the technology. That's it, yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not out there saying, you know, we do absolutely everything right and whatever. We, we try and do, as a small to medium-sized company, as best as we possibly can within the framework and resources that we've got. Yeah, of course. And that's it. And uh, but so we're always looking for for those things. And packaging is another thing. So yeah. okay, so we'll we'll come on to packaging. But take me back yeah. to the pants, yeah. which is a line I thought I'd so never say. Men's um. men's and women's. So um, this is our bestseller in the men's. Uh, this is our men's boxer. Yeah. For uh, the audio view, uh, audio listeners. Yeah. Audio viewers. Yeah. <laughs> Trademark. We're such pros. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So these are. These are basically the the, the chafe it chafe busting pant that yep. I needed on that New York marathon, and now we've made it. We've we've now got over ten thousand uh, Trustpilot reviews at four point six stars. So we we're in a pretty good That's place. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been it's been it's great. So if you yeah. And what's different about these? Because I've I've actually used these. Is, right. is this bit here on the legs as well, right? So yeah. So there's a little silicon gripper which just makes sure that it doesn't roll up the leg, which we all know is a little annoying. Yeah. Um. So we just put in a nice little silicon gripper, keeps it in place, whether it be under your shorts or under your leggings. Yeah. Yeah. So for yeah. our listeners who who aren't watching this, that's that's kind of almost at, at the top of where your thigh would be, and it sort of grips to your thigh, which holds it in place. Yeah. Okay, so no seams, made with yeah. awesome technology. Yeah. Anything about sweat? Is sweat an issue that yeah, you have to consider so, about? Yeah, absolutely. So the yarns themselves are technical yarns, so they are fully breathable. Yeah. Um, allows the sweat to wick away. I mean, I've done uh, some pretty hot ultra marathons and marathons in, in these. In this pair? Because if so, I'm putting it down right now. Yeah, no, <laughs> they would, and also don't, yeah, they're a medium, so they're not your size. I know you're small, so, um, so, but if you want pair, I can get some after the show. Yeah. This is amazing. So, um, if you were to describe uh, the reason to use yeah. specialist pants when running, like, what would be your sales pitch to people? I think it's just ultimate comfort. Ultimate comfort, um, and the thing that we always get on reviews is, I forgot I had them on, which is exactly what we yeah. want. So if you put your underwear on, good underwear is that you forget about it and it's just done its job and yeah. you don't think about it. If you're out on your run thinking, oh, this underwear is annoying me or it's moving, that's not where you want to be. So that, well, we'd like to think that this combats it and uh, we've got a few reviews now over, over the last decade that back it up. 10,000 as you chucked it out. No, and I think it's really important. I think for, for me with running, with my running, it's yeah. about having a number of basics that yeah. just don't bother you. Yeah. And it starts with your shoes and your socks and, and all of those things. And yeah. then it's, it's underwear, it's your yeah. T-shirt and all of those things. Yeah. If you can take away those 
impediments, then actually all you need to focus on is, is the running exactly. rather than the extras. So Precisely. Yeah, I know. Exactly. It's amazing, yeah. mate. Well, thank you for coming on. It does feel a bit weird having you on here, given, given you're a host, but actually this is a really awesome product. So thank yes. you for supporting the, uh, the show, and yeah. uh, I'm sure we'll see you in two seconds for Absolutely. another chat. Exactly. Thanks very much. Cheers, Jamie. Thanks. Onto some tech now, and wow, the host has an unbelievable background in this section. If you're watching, then you really are being blessed. Hi, welcome to this week's tech section where I have Trevor from Run3D to talk a bit more about gait analysis. Now, for some people, they'll know what gait analysis is, but Trevor, for those that maybe don't, can you tell us a bit more about it? Um, well, I think the first thing we've got to do is consider the biomechanics of running. It's actually a start-stop motion. So when your foot hits the ground, it has to be able to stop in order to be stable so that the swing leg can accelerate you into the next stage. In order to do that, there will be a certain amount of impact that your body has to absorb, and you have to be able to control that motion using your muscles and joints and ligaments. So what happens then is in order to measure that, if you want to do a full gait analysis, you have to consider the force that goes through the limb. You have to consider the position that the joints go into, which then gives us an indication of the forces that the muscles and the joints absorb. So a true gait analysis, a full gait analysis, measures the force, it measures the angles, and it calculates the power and energy in those muscles as well as the vibration. So how does this differ if I'm going to buy a new running shoe and I'm going into my local running shop um, and, and heading onto the treadmill and they track that, that my running style? How does this differ from that? Okay, so when you go into a running shoe store, they're going to use video analysis uh, to try and do some freeze frame work. And that will give you a certain amount of information. In fact, a, a lot of that uh, analysis is focused around the position of the leg and the shoe. Uh, and unfortunately, actually, the evidence suggests that that's not a particularly reliable test. Um, and one of the reasons for that is you don't really know what the foot's doing inside the shoe. So I could show you uh, a video still of a patient with two pronated feet. One's worse than the other. When you put them in the shoe, it actually goes the other way around. Um, so there are some problems with that. And it's also difficult to quantify. And there are a whole range of the angles that you're not measuring with that, with that assessment. So obviously, this is a tech section, so it'd be good for people to get an understanding of actually if they're going in for the first time to get an analysis what they'll be confronted with on the technology side of things like how does that all work so in order to be able to measure the angles accurately we need to use a marker system so if you think of those little balls that they use for animating in hollywood it's exactly the same process so we place markers that allow us to track the position of the pelvis hips knees and ankle which includes on your shoes we then use three infrared cameras that record at 200 seconds, 200 frames per second, so it can track those whilst you're running. The real secret of the system is normally it takes a long time to process that data, but with the Run3D system, it can process the data extremely quickly, and then what it does is it takes your values and statistically compares it to an uninjured control group. So we're then looking for, are there big asymmetries between your left and right side? Are there big differences, whether increased motion or reduced motion, compared to an uninjured control group. The way your foot works is a combination of what your foot can do and what your body asks it to do. So if you did a squat on both legs, you feel certain pressures and forces. If you do it on one leg, it feels different. Um, and your foot function has not changed, but what your body's asked it to do. So when we're analyzing, say, a shoe, or we're analyzing orthoses, all the research shows us it's quite unpredictable where in the chain you get that response. All right, so what we can do with kinematics is if we're looking at different shoes or orthotics, we can look to see where it has an effect. 
And in some people, we see everything looks better. Some people, everything looks worse. And some people, some things look better and some things look worse. So if people have been struggling with footwear or thoses or whatever, we can use that to help kind of guide our advice. So is this going to help me get faster? Is it going to help me prevent injury? Is it going to make me perform better? How is this going to help my overall running? Well, it's kind of a little bit of everything, really. I mean, I think the first thing to say, uh, if, if we look at the science, we don't have much hard evidence that any one intervention or any one thing prevents injury. But what we do know is there are certain kinematic positions that have been linked to injury. And therefore, if someone's looking to optimize their performance, we can try and identify whether there are any obvious areas that may be a potential risk that we can then advise against. We use it um, a lot for treating people that have had injuries. So if you've got an injury that you're struggling to get over, or you've had one injury and it's become recurrent, or you've had one injury, then you get another injury and then you get another injury. Um, we're looking to break that system down to see why that might be. So it's a bit like taking the old car engine. If you replace one bit, you stress the rest and they fall off. Or if you put a new tire on, you have to balance the tire because if you don't balance the tire, the whole car shakes and a bit falls off. So we're really looking for trying to balance the system and reduce those kind of extra forces that may contribute to problems. Is gait analysis for a particular type of runner, whether it be short distance, long distance, brand new to running, been running for years and years, can gait help improve whether you're in any of those demographics? Yeah, I, I don't think that we'd really categorize it for a certain group. So, um, you know, it really depends on where you are. So you might get a new runner that's interested in seeing what's their function like, what are they, what are they like in a particular trainer, are there any areas that you know they they may be um, thinking that if they develop some symptoms that there may be an issue there that kind of stuff and um, it may be for somebody that's just interested in it because they want to know what's going on and try and optimize it we've certainly had some people that have had recurrent injuries but now they want to see whether or not they can get over those but also see if they can Im improve their performance i mean i think the bizarre thing is we've worked with some fairly high level performance and we can definitely see that they've reduced their injury rate and been able to perform at a better level. But once they can perform at a better level, they push themselves harder and get different injuries. So, you know, that's the nature of a runner. So I'm completely sold on the technology now. I want to go and get this done. Where can I go to help improve my running, help my injury recovery, all of these things that we've spoken about? Yeah, so we've got clinics um, all over the UK from the south coast up to Scotland. There's some clinics in Europe and uh, around the world, America, China, etc. Um, best bet is to go on to the website, which is um, run3d.co.uk um, and look at where the clinics are and look at the one that's nearest to you. And those links will be in the description below. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on to this tech section. Yeah, my pleasure. For all the people that were listening, no, it wasn't interesting. It was quite literally a white wall. Anyway, back to part two of Josh's interview. I think he's really interested about what you're saying about having therapists on the team because I think there's often this thing, and it is true to some extent, about running being amazing for your mental health and like a bit of a cure-all. But I actually find a lot of time it's quite... You're really vulnerable when you're mm. that tired and it brings out a lot of things. And I think yeah. it's not just as simple as go for a run feel better yeah. like I think it's quite yeah like a, they do go hand in hand I definitely do feel better when I go for a run but yeah. also you go to dark places like yeah. on challenges like that 100% like if you go into like the trail space you know I found myself there was one uh, I did a, an ultra in the jungle and I got chatting to this lad for I think we together for about yeah. four hours 
And, you know, his story, he opened up where he's a functioning addict and, okay. and ultra running was kind of like his new vice mm. almost. He just lost his brother in prison to a heroin overdose. Yeah. And he'd come off the back of several suicide attempts himself. And that story, although it was incredibly inspiring, when you're absorbing something like that in and you might be doing that on multiple occasions... I think it's really important that, like I said, you do speak to that professional to just kind of, like I said, reflect on what it is that you've kind of maybe been exposed to. Because I think when you keep that emotion within you, yeah. it's like a volcano. It will maintain there, but eventually it has to erupt. Yeah. And so there's probably just healthier ways of doing it. And I think talking to someone is always going to be the best way. Yeah, we, we're, at, we're interviewing Ali Bailey on the, in this series as well, who's an ultra runner. She's got an amazing book coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, and her story is that she's an alcoholic, she's had a lot of problems with depression, but she said for a long time she was almost thinking, well, I can't, I can't be an alcoholic, I can't be depressed because I'm running a marathon every weekend and you can yeah. kind of mask these things, whereas actually, yeah, it's not just that because you're a runner, everything else in your life yeah. It's great, I think, talking about these things. Yeah. It's really important. So what have you got coming up next? Have you got any big challenges in the pipeline? Or Yeah, I mean, listen, until my body tells me that it can't go anymore, yeah. like, my life is committed to, to raising as much money for charity as I can to keep doing challenges that excite, inspire, you know, and stimulate people. Mm. And, and to kind of just leave a legacy that, that I can kind of reflect on and be proud of, you know? I think I've got such an opportunity to continue doing these these incredible things yeah. and you know for me it just it gives me purpose you know I've struggled most of my life with my mental health yeah. you know my anxiety cripples me and I had really bad stints of depression and I've come from the point of, of suicide or, or, or wanting to attempt it and when you wake up and you have these opportunities for me it's about gratitude yeah. now where I feel so lucky that I have this second chance and to be able to connect with people through this sport and support them through their own journey too is just the most fulfilling thing in the world. Mm. So for me, it's it's not about validation or accolades. It is really honestly about this connection. Having somebody come up to you and tell you that you've saved their life or you've improved it is, is just one of the most humbling things you could possibly hear. Yeah. And um, I want it to continue. You know, I have a huge amount of responsibility. And I think when you do start to become quite a credited name in whatever field it is you do, it's really important that you do guide these individuals. And it's not a case if you don't want them to make mistakes. I think that's yeah. really key <laughs> how you can learn from these things. But if you could maybe guide them in a direction to to help improve maybe the journey that yeah. they're on, it's really important. Yeah, for sure. And have you got, I know you've, you've got a book yeah. coming out, which sounds, from what you've said, exactly... Mental. Like, it's or exactly doing that, kind of trying to guide yeah. people. So tell yeah. us a bit more about the book. So firstly, to anyone that ever doubts himself, I was... Uh, the fact that I'm writing a book, when I told my friends and family, their reaction was laughter. So yeah. <laughs> I think that says it all. Still get the book, though. Although, <laughs> I always find that, like, I have written a book and it's so similar in the process I yeah. found to doing a big challenge oh. like too much time in your own head yeah. but I think if you've ran an ultra yeah. you're well placed to write a book yeah <laughs> do you know what? and I think it's the information so what's really I think unique about this book is so it's called Fortune Fades yeah. the Brave and it's 76 uh, short chapters finding strength yeah. and vulnerability and that's what's key in this so for me it was a case of showcasing my journey and the things that I've experienced and taking individuals on that journey okay. themselves. So chapter one is, what's your why? Mm. Let's find that out first. And then for me, like I said, it's that transition to get you to that end yeah. point, which is what do you want to be remembered for? Because I think that's really important. Yeah. 
And what's great about the book is that I, even though it's not diagnosed, I've, I'm, mm. I'm going to get diagnosed hopefully because I'm, I'm pretty adamant I have ADHD yeah. and amongst bloody everything else in the sun, hence why I do these freaking ridiculous <laughs> things. Um, and we've shortened the chapters and that's why it is yeah. 76 short chapters because we want this to be as digestible mm -hmm. for individuals as possible. Some individuals don't want to read like a 26 page yeah. chapter. For me, it could literally be a page or two. Yeah. Just keep it simple, the font size, things like pictures I think are really important just so that you have something to reflect on yeah. when you're speaking about certain experiences. And um, I think what's unique about this book is the fact that I am not someone from a young age that was destined for greatness. Yeah. It's something that has happened literally in the past six years yeah. off the back of my best friend's motorbike accident, yeah. which paralyzed him. And this transition in my life going from a very ordinary person into doing these incredible things. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that any individual that reads it and has seen what I've done can, can take inspiration to start the journey on their own. And what I don't want people to, to confuse, I guess, themselves with this is that this isn't a book where I'm saying you need to be running 76 yeah. marathons or doing 24 hour ultras. Everything is relative. If you at the end of this book are capable of achieving 10 steps, or your first mile, or doing five kilometers, yeah. that's as successful as the 76. Like I said, it is completely relevant to mm -hmm. that person. What somebody else is is, is, is massive and monumental. Yeah. To someone could be quite ordinary, yeah. and the other way around. Yeah. So I think it's just make it relevant to you, and I, I hope it will connect with as many people as possible. Yeah, definitely. I think the more time you spend kind of in this bubble of people doing ridiculous yeah. things, whatever you do, someone's going to have done something bigger, something yeah. better. So it is exactly that, isn't it? Yeah. It's like finding the thing that you're excited about and it's an achievement. Yeah, for sure. Like, for you as a person. Yeah, your environment, everything. Like, yeah. it really does guide you, who you surround yourself with and, and the fact I talk about my team and... You know, just like purpose in yeah. life, there are so many factors that I think we we maybe neglect. Gratitude, be so grateful. I saw an interview the other day where a guy was getting interviewed and asking this host to kind of move his arm yeah. and doing that with his hand. And the guy's laughing, being like, why is he making yeah. me do this? And he said, what you've just done there is somebody else's dream. They will go yeah. through their entire life working to achieve what you've just done there. And look at you, like we do just take these simple yeah. things for granted. So for me, it's just reminding people of that. And I think that's like one of the best things about running how especially we do these hard things I don't know about you but I go for a long run and it just makes me appreciate everything so much more like a cup of tea a hot shower mm. a warm jumper and I think that's like for me one of the most powerful things about running strip it back <laughs> yeah. honestly I think that's the problem with life right now is that unfortunately everything is so accessible yeah. And there's so much luxury. And actually, when you strip it back, you're right. Like spending 76 days in a camper van with two other men, just <laughs> Must have been a, a toilet with privacy <laughs> and to be able to wash or have clean clothes. Yeah. When you've gone like a week wearing wet, stinky yeah. clothes, just the appreciation for a fresh top makes such a difference. Good, nutritious meal. Like those packed meals are great. But when you're eating that for a considerable amount of time. It's not great on the yeah. stomach. So it's just the basics, I think, that you really look forward to the most. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if people are kind of interested in hearing more, where can they find you, Josh? So best way would be probably my Instagram, yeah. so Joshua Patterson underscore JP. Um, and then, yeah, things like YouTube, uh, Joshua Patterson, where you can start to see now more of, of mini series that I've started cool. to shoot. And I'm gonna start dropping some of the documentaries that we've shot over the past number of years. 
uh, and my podcast, I did a runner podcast, which actually launches uh, next Tuesday, which is exciting. So that'll give you an opportunity to hear more about myself, my journey, but a lot of people in the running space. Some you may have heard of, some you may not have heard of, but their stories just need to be told. And I can't wait to be the platform that does it. Amazing. Well, by the time you are listening to this, Josh's podcast will be live. So um, yeah, go and check him out. Yeah, definitely check out his podcast, but also check out this next race section talking about the 13 Valleys Ultra. Hey, it's Elise here and we're back for the race section of the pod show and I'm here with Colin from 13 Valleys Ultra today. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Um, do you want to just tell us a bit about 13 Valleys Ultra and what it is for anyone who's not heard of it? Yeah, so 13 Valleys Ultra took part for the first time last year in 2023 and really it's a long-standing partnership with the latest National Park Authority. Um, and we talked to them about a variety of events. And they're a UNESCO World Heritage Site now, and that's built around the 13 unique valleys of the Lake District. Yeah. And we thought we could come in and really help them tell that story, and at the same time deliver a, a kind of really exciting event concept at the same time. Oh, amazing. I actually live in the Lake District, and I didn't know about the UNESCO 13 valleys thing. So Yeah, exactly. So I you know, regularly spend a lot of time there as well, and it was something that was kind of news to me. And part of their brief to be a UNESCO site is to shout about it and, yeah. and you know we want to help them do that so as well as it being a one-off event each year at the end of September the 13 valleys uh, represents a year-round walking trail that we're establishing as well so you can go and walk the 13 valleys 180 kilometers trail at your leisure over a number of weekends there's an OS map now um, and that gives you a chance for anybody to take part yeah. and, and explore the Lake District more than just going to your normal kind of Keswick or, or Ambleside. And then once a year, we celebrate that trail with our series of ultra events. Oh, that's amazing. So it work a little bit like something like the West Highland Way, where you've got a set trail, there's a race that's on it, but people just go and do it of their own accord as well. Exactly. Kind of so, premise. yeah, Southwest Coastal Path, all those yeah. kind of things. So, um, really... It's, there's something there for everyone. If you're a, a day walker or a hill walker and you want to do it by yourself, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But equally, if you want to make that transition into trail running, we can um, show you a pathway in. So we have a two-valley trail, which is 20 kilometres long. We have a five-valley ultra at 55. We have a seven-valley 110k ultra. And then we have the headline event, which is all 13 valleys, yeah. 180 kilometres of exceptional scenery and trails. Big day out. <laughs> a big day out, yeah. And like, so did you say it was the first event last year? It was, yeah. Yeah, we, first event go? last year, it, it was really well received. We wanted to, you know, build the building blocks and get it right. Um, we want to work with a variety of local partners and celebrate the Lake District. So be that Innovate, who are based in the lakes, or um, La Sportiva and Petzl, who have big distribution centres there, and Voom Nutrition, who also Lake District based. We really want to celebrate everything that that area of the, of the UK has to offer. Um, and I think everyone was delighted and, and, you know, the runners get really strong feedback. Yeah, it was only when I moved up to that area that I realised how many businesses are actually kind of have roots there, which obviously makes sense because it's such an amazing place to go running. Yeah, and I think, you know, people who are in that mindset have an excuse yeah. to set a business up in a beautiful part of the world. Why wouldn't you? So, yeah, we work with them. And we also want to be just have sustainability at the heart of the event. Yeah. And, and that comes with, you know, working with the National Park. 5% of every fee goes to their foundation, yeah. which is fixing the fells, developing the footpaths, making sure that um, the trails are up to the increased footfall 
wall and we have to gradually increase our entrance in line with what we think natural England would be happy with um, going through some of the stunning areas that we're privileged to do so. Amazing. So I think sometimes the word ultra can be a bit intimidating for people who have not dipped their toe into those long distances yet. Is this an event that kind of anyone can get involved with? Yeah, absolutely. So you've got different we're, distances. Yeah, we're conscious of the word ultra, but there is the Two Valleys Trail and the cut-off times are really, really generous. Yeah. So we want people to succeed and that Two Valleys Trail has... Um, as much kind of kudos in, in our minds as the 180k. Yeah. So if you were to walk the entire trail and that's your first ever yeah. 20k, then you know that you should be so proud of yourself. Um, and the founders of our business walked it, you know, they're in their 70s now. And we had a, a, a huge variety of people. Um, and this year we've got four reckeys, um, all different levels to, to give people the skills, the fitness and the confidence yeah. to come and join us. Um, we fully weigh mark the trails. Um, and one of those reckeys as well is a women's only one, again, just to make people feel yeah. comfortable in that space. Oh, that's amazing. And um, in the first event, what was like the field like? Did you have quite an exciting race? Yeah, we, well, we kind of did. We thought we did. And then um, Mark Derbyshire kind yeah. of put his foot down and I think he won by nearly eight hours in the yeah. end from second place. So, um, you know, we... It was really interesting. Beth Pascal, obviously mm. um, an incredible athlete, helped us uh, map out what we thought a good time would be. Okay. Um, and I think he really showed what is possible. And we're looking forward to next year to, for people to come back and, and see that as a benchmark and see, see what kind of times they can get. Okay, amazing. So I think one of the best things about ultra running is the kind of community element. I know in one of the interviews in this series, I was chatting to Vassos Alexander about how amazing it is that you're in a race and you're, you've got so many different things going on. You've got people at the front of the pack, then like people doing their first ultra. And I think that community and how people can be having yes, yeah, so many different races kind of in one is really special. How, like, how can people get involved in the community for 13 Valleys? Yeah, it's something we found last year within the events, people develop friendships on yeah. that journey themselves. And we've kind of taken that one step further this year. There is a Facebook group that people can join um, and really as many questions are answered by each other as they are by us, yeah. but we are there to help people. So um, we are developing that community through Facebook. People can come and contact us directly. Because I think, yeah, that's one of the best things about trail running. Like in races, you chat to people, people help each other, and it's really special. So if people have been inspired to get involved, how, how can they find you? They can find us at 13valleysultra.com or on the usual social channels, and we would uh, love them to come and join us. Amazing. Thanks so much, Colin. Thank you. Now, if you remember last week, we had Emily from SIS on talking about hydration. This week is all about nutrition. Hi, guys. Uh, for this nutrition section, we have the awesome Emily Jevons from SIS talking to us about how to fuel with food during races. So we're going to do a little section on smaller races, or shorter races, sorry, and a little section on, on sort of half marathons and above. Hey, Emily, welcome back. We've had you on before. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. So I want to talk about food and what to eat. Food is my favourite subject generally in life because I love pies. Um, but pies are not a great nutrition strategy for a race. <laughs> so if I'm doing a 5k or a 10k race, outside of pies, what would you recommend? So for a 5k and 10k, it depends a little bit on how long you think it will take you, but you probably can focus on just eating beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, the general rule of thumb is if you're eating a healthy balanced diet, you should have enough energy to last you about 90 minutes of exercise. So for most people, the 5 and 10k will fall in before that like before 90 minutes but if you're going really really high intensity maybe for the 10k you might want to have like one energy gel during or just before so you could have an energy gel or a food source whatever you preference some people like flapjacks some people like jelly babies 
but all the sports nutrition companies with the reason we are sports nutrition companies is because most of them are science backed and we are thinking about the most efficient way your body can digest things which mm-hmm. is why we come up with our products so if you prefer food go for it but one of the most popular um, options in running is your classic energy gel. gels yeah classic they are most people's go-to mm-hmm. um, some people prefer other options but runners in particular seem to love these yeah i don't know what it is about running and energy and gels i know them. people who go through these things like like jelly babies yeah. and, and i think you need to be you need to be mindful of that don't you you yes. need to think about the amount that you're consuming and what you're using it for yeah. so how do i decide what to have i mean obviously you're going to say sis is the best um <laughs> but actually talk to me through a gel like what what should i be looking for and what should it do for me and how often should i take it okay so most of them seem to be recommended if they have around 20 22 grams of carbohydrate in which a lot of gels do and mm-hmm. um, i'll talk about the higher carbohydrate ones afterwards but most generic ones are around the 20-ish mark they send to say up to like three an hour so try wow. and get 60 grams over the hour Works for some people, doesn't work for others. So what does the carbohydrate do? Carbohydrates, they fuel your body (laughs) massively. So carbohydrates are our body's preferred energy source. We Mm -hmm. can use fats, we can even use protein, but I won't recommend that. Don't want to eat into our muscles. But for exercise, our bodies does tend to rely on carbohydrates. Again, you can train otherwise, but let's provide it with what our body wants. So Because I hear about this, like carbohydrates versus protein versus fats and all of those kind of things but carbohydrate is the preferred source yeah, naturally okay. that's your body's preferred source so again you can train it otherwise but and is it to do with the speed that you digest it or something yeah so carbohydrates are quicker for your body to metabolize than fats so especially if you're going at high intensity it's a lot more efficient if you have carbohydrate fantastic okay so look for a gel with carbohydrate if they have 20 odd grams in then you can have up to three it's an hour usually with most brands i know with science and sports aim for like around three an hour and mm-hmm. um, would be great but some for some people that might be too much so trial it in training test what works for you some people might even say i can stomach more than that so i'm going to stomach more than that but it, it will vary and um, but with the shorter distance races where you're not going to be going for that long, I'd have one beforehand uh, mm. in the 30 minutes before just to give you your energy, especially for a 5K because you probably want, want to just get on with that. 10K, you might just take one depending on how long it's going to take you to complete the 10K. So for, for a marathon distance or yeah. longer, which if you if say if you're aiming for a four-hour marathon and mm. you're taking three hours, so you could potentially consume up to 12 gels. Which sounds like a lot. That does sound it? like a lot. So the advice there is, again, over 90 minutes, that's when we need to think about fueling. And I'd recommend like 40, 45-minute intervals. Mm-hmm. So, But starting before the 90 minutes as well. You don't want to get to 30, 90 minutes Absolutely. without fueling because then you'll so, already have so used all your energy. But that's stores. a big problem. That's a really yeah. good point because... A lot of people wait until they feel hungry yeah, or they don't. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. But there's a there are other energy gels out there now that are higher in carbohydrate. See, I'm going to use Science and Sport as an example. So we have uh, the Beta Fuel range, or as I call it, Rocket Fuel, um, <laughs> and this is 40 grams of carbohydrate. So it's a lot higher. Okay. And the, the reason for this being is they are for these like longer endurance events. So then you could carry less gels for the gotcha. same amount of carbohydrate. And again, you might not have them as often because they've got more. You might have half a one and spread it out. Ideal when you've got to carry all your own nutrition, of course, isn't it? But the reason for these like more superior gels is because if you are trying to consume over 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour, which not everyone is, it depends on your personal Mm -hmm. like body weight and things. And your body can only process 60 grams in one go of glucose. Like it can't have any more than that. So it's important that we add a different type of carbohydrate so it can work like simultaneously. So that has fructose in as well. 
So fructose and glucose, think about little transporters in your blood, they're working together instead. So they're like maxed out. I feel like you know what you're talking about. Um, but this, this <laughs> I try is, to. This is, this is really hard with nutrition. I think what's yeah, really, really good to know is that actually the science-backed principles yeah. behind these gels and, and how they work. I think one thing that we've come across, and certainly I've come across in my running, is I used to eat before, because everyone says eat before you get hungry, and yeah. particularly for longer distance, I, I tend to do ultras, so it's, it's a different type of fueling. Yeah. They say eat before you get hungry, but then I was getting to a point where I was overeating, and I was feeling really full yeah. and bloated. So there's probably an element of, uh, to your point, try it in training and, and see how it goes. Practice makes perfect. And also, you just don't know how your gut's going to respond to things. Mm. So that's why it's worth trying. Also, all sorts of different intensities. Some people go out on an easy long run, try the nutrition and think it's great for their race day. But on the race day, they're trying to go at high intensity. And they're like, oh, why am I struggling with my nutrition? It's because they haven't tried it running at those intensities. In race conditions, yeah. Yeah, so you've got to try it in different runs as well. Like, don't just use it on your easy long run. Um, trial and error if you prefer more food like approaches use more food um, and if you I prefer always prefer a more food like approach like in general life I love, um. <laughs> I love um we do the beast fuel range has an energy chew as well which is almost like you know like jelly oh, I love those like jelly they're cubes so oh good. I love them like, that was, like, I yeah. fueled an iron man on them practically so yeah they're my personal preference so I'd rather have something to chew on than a gel but again runners seem to love gels don't know what it is about no it's, <laughs> I, I think actually and, and often where gels I think have a real place to if you're mm. thinking about continuous fueling throughout a race in longer races when you can't eat it's often quite difficult to chew yeah. when particularly in, in sort of ultra distances so actually having a gel is a really good way of getting the correct volume of nutrients and, and carbohydrates into your body. But everyone needs to remember, no littering. Always remember. Absolutely. Okay. Do not litter. Um, but the, I remember when we spoke about hydration, I said to have a look at the aid stations and what's available on your race. Exactly the same for nutrition. So mm. check out what gels are going to be available, what they might have bananas and stuff as well, and just make sure you practice with it beforehand. So like specific marathon marathons will normally... Um, put in the event guide what they've got available and yeah. so you can practice and it's usually who they're sponsored by so check that information out before and, you race and those gels those companies would always be really credible and good companies but those that that product may not agree with you on a personal yes. level so it's worth they testing all have slightly that. different consistencies mm. things like that to consider and taste what's the best taste oh what flavor yeah for the gels oh uh, i'm strawberry in line for the beta fuel but again, I prefer the chews and the lemon chews are my favourite on the that. The lemon chews. Yeah, the lemon chews are my go-to. And I don't really use the um, Go Energy ones myself purely because I do a lot of long distance, so I prefer the less is more approach of like carrying stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. This has been really interesting. And actually, I hadn't realised there were two types of gels. Yeah. So uh, actually, for people doing those longer runs, I think that's really good insight. Yeah, so it's really good to know. There's, and it's not just Science and Sport that do those as well. There are some other brands out there. So it's Amazing. worth keeping an eye out. This has been really fascinating. Emily, thank you for coming on again. Uh, we'll hopefully see you again soon. Guys, on to the next bit. And finally, for this week's advice section, we welcome Tom Hollis. If you're struggling to fuel for your long runs, then this section is for you. Hi, it's Jamie here from Runderwear, and now we're moving into the advice section and the first part of our nutritional advice with Tom Hollis. How are we doing, Tom? Yeah, right? I'm very good today. Yeah, How good are you, stuff. Jamie? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, mate. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, so a little bit of background to how Tom and I know each other. Uh, Tom is a brother of one of my best friends. And so we've known each other for quite a number of years. And uh, you came over to our Rundlewear stand many years ago uh, running. Was that your first marathon at London? Uh, no, that would have been third one, okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah. done, done 10 now, and I think that was number three. Wow. But that was my first yeah. one in the UK. I've done okay. two overseas ones. So what were your first two? Uh, Berlin, first one. That, really? But that's when it wasn't as difficult to qualify for. Although right. it was still a major, you could yeah. just get a place. You could just buy a place. That was in 2013. Yeah. Then Rotterdam, 2015. And mm-hmm. then London the year after that. Brilliant. So and then it would have been about 2016, I think. Okay, and the next seven, just for... Uh, so since then, five Londons. Yeah. One Manchester. Yeah and one Valencia, which was my most recent one. Which we'll get to in a second. So uh, when we first, when you first came onto that stand, I think you were looking to try and break three hours, if I remember rightly, coming over and yeah. wanting to break three hours. Is that uh, right? Yeah, so I'd, I'd done 2.59 at Rotterdam, second one. Right. It might have even been before then that we spoke. Maybe. Yeah, so Maybe. I was in that sort of ballpark. In that ballpark. Yeah, yeah. And now Valencia, talk us through just Valencia, just for context for the, for the um, sort of listeners and viewers. So yeah, fast forward uh, seven years yeah. from from then, I've just been slowly chipping away at that time. It's not been completely linear progression, but chipping yeah. away and I'm yeah. down to two hours, 30 and 11 seconds. Pretty amazing. And I've been following the journey and absolutely loving it. And uh, now, talking about the nutritional advice and background, frame a little bit of background as to where, where it sits in your life and how you got into that position. The nutrition side of things? That's right. Yeah. So I am a registered yeah. dietitian. Yeah. That is my main accreditation, if you like, my main qualification. So I've worked in the NHS for 10 years, yeah. uh, half of which were on intensive care yeah. in the busiest London intensive care during COVID period, which was obviously a pretty memorable experience. Yeah. Good and bad, mainly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, registered dietitian from a clinical perspective. And then f- uh, about four years ago, I've always been interested in sports nutrition because I've always been sporty yeah. and had the nutrition background. Yeah. But thought I want to be more qualified, more certified from a sports nutrition perspective. So mm. did that postgraduate course mm. to become qualified yeah. as a sports nutritionist. Mm. I've set up my own company to do sports nutrition, yeah. most of which are running clients. Yeah. Um, and I've been slowly building that up alongside my day-to-day yeah. clinical work. Sounds great. I mean, a passion for it, or both, should I say, fused together and the result is uh, is pretty good. So, yeah, good. yeah, no, fantastic. And obviously I apply everything that I give to my clients to myself and I like to think it's been a, like a big, big part of my Absolutely. progression. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So coming on to that. So my first question, so carb loading, big myths around it, lots of different things out there on the internet. Um, Firstly, what's your opinion? Secondly, I found I've moved away from big sort of carb load, porridge mornings before marathons and big long runs, and I've seen a bit of an uptick. Interesting. It's interesting. I'm still still taking on carbohydrates, but not quite to the same degree Mm -hmm. uh, of possibly slow-release carbohydrates. So interested to hear your thoughts around carb loading and my experience as well. Well, I'd say the first thing with anything nutrition science related yeah. is there's the evidence, there's yeah. the textbooks, yeah. but people aren't people don't fit neatly into the science. Everyone's yeah. physiology is very slightly different. Yeah. So it's not good to just say these are the numbers yeah. and give you the numbers and deal with yeah. it. Because it doesn't work for for everyone. Everyone yeah. responds slightly differently. 
What's also really important from an individual carb load perspective is what your day-to-day -day diet is like, your mm -hmm. training diet, I would, say, I would call that. So yeah. if when you're in your marathon block, you're a low-ish or low to medium carb intake, then there's absolutely no point trying to pump your body full of carbs in race week because you're going to tolerate that really badly because your body's not used to dealing Makes with it. Makes sense. You'll feel bloated, you'll have other GI issues, you're going to feel really sluggish, mm. which is going to have more of a detrimental impact than the potential benefit of the carb load in the first place. Yeah. That said, like the evidence for carb loading is very strong. So yeah. ultimately, the main cause of Hitting the wall. Hitting the wall means yeah. running out of glycogen, yeah. which is the muscle's stored carbohydrate. Mm. There's no reason to hit the wall if you pace the race right and if you fuel for it properly. Mm. And that means beforehand and during the run. Yeah. The carb load is a huge, huge, huge part of that. There are specific numbers that you can aim for in the build-up. Um, usually start... I would normally recommend from the Thursday evening of race week, assuming that the, the marathon is on the Sunday morning. Yeah. That's when you start. And Friday and Saturday are other are the key carb load days. Arguably, Friday is the more important day. Interesting. I think some people make the mistake of leaving it too late until Saturday. Interesting. You know, you've got yeah. the classic pasta party on the Saturday night. Yeah. If you've not really done anything till then, mm. and you have huge portions of pasta... That's not going to feel good at all. No. So I, if that's something that you've done previously, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me that it didn't feel good. Yeah, I talk in one of the other episodes um, about a real problem I had at Berlin Half, but we know I don't really want to go back into that because <laughs> that's actually a nightmare. Um, yeah. So I don't relive that. But um, yeah, so talking about <laughs> is there specific um, carbohydrates <clears throat> that we that are better than others? Again, and I don't want to be too general, but. Everyone has their own preferences, and those yeah. are going to be taste preferences. There might be mm. kind of innate intolerance issues as well. For example, yeah. some people can't tolerate much wheat, yeah. which is going to be an easy op option for a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, you want to be going for lower fat meals with your fiber and, sorry, with your carbs and lower fiber carb options as well. Mm. Two reasons. So, fat provides lots of calories, it's energy dense. And if you're getting the calories in from carbs that you really need in those two days, you can do without those additional calories from fat because you'll be too full and you won't be able to maximize the carb load. Um, the other reason is fat slows down your digestion right. and you really want efficient digestion in yeah. those couple of days. Yeah. Um, you don't want things sitting heavy in your stomach and your gut, mm. which is the reason why fiber should be temporarily reduced as well yeah so you would be wanting white varieties of your carbs so white rice white pasta white mm. bread and bread products yeah. white potatoes things like that yeah. things that are really simple to digest polar opposite from what you would say is typical healthy eating advice for most people training diet training diet but also race week diet which yeah. is more extreme than 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 yeah training diet yeah yeah, yeah. um and so taking pasta as an example, mm. some people might have an enormous bowl of carbonara, mm -hmm. say, which is really rich and creamy and full of fat. 
full of stuff that you don't need the night before mm. a marathon. So not mm. only have you got all of those carbs, but you've mm. got loads of things that you don't need yeah. and are going to be making you feel rough. Yeah. Well, it's probably going to affect your sleep yeah. and it will affect the way that you feel in the morning as well. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I can't emphasize enough if you're a first time marathoner and you're coming up to London, Manchester, Edinburgh, Paris, something um, this, this spring, uh, getting this nutrition right and practicing it yeah, on, yeah, the, on the long runs, I find, uh, I found really helpful. Um, and being quite scientific and a bit nerdy about it, not just yeah. sort of going out the door, oh, well, it's just a long run. Treat it a bit like a race. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it doesn't mean that every Sunday long run needs to be a, a perfect replica of what yeah. you'll do in your spring marathon. Yeah. But they are the opportunities to be practicing things and getting into yeah. a bit of a routine yeah so you're never going to do a full carb load before every sunday long run because yeah. it would actually be quite unhealthy yeah um but occasionally on some of your more significant longer runs you might want to consider doing that or at least getting close to it yeah you want to be practicing your race morning breakfast yeah timing <coughs> type uh, and you also want to be practicing your mid-run fueling mm-hmm gels for most people yeah and like i say it doesn't mean that you need to be doing it to the extreme every yeah. sunday and also it's good to be kind of having some long runs where you do drain the system a bit more yeah because it's good for your body to be able to run in a lower carb state mm-hmm. and a high carb well-fueled state yeah something called metabolic flexibility where basically mm-hmm. your body's good at running at marathon pace whilst using fats and whilst using carbs because yeah. you're going to need both on race day. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, look, thanks so much for joining us today, Tom. Pleasure. Really enjoy it. It's um, it's something that I think we need to go on a much deeper dive anyway. It's uh, it's it's that it keeps on, you keep peeling back another layer and there's <laughs> more information. So keeping it, I think you did a really great job at just nailing it to the basics so thanks so much pleasure thank you very much and that's the end of the advice um section of this week's episode thank you for making it this far please do leave a like a comment a rating all of that fun stuff but let's throw it back over to the host for a quick outro thank you very much for joining us for another episode of the pod show so today we've focused a little bit on tech so i want to talk a little bit about tech disasters um have you had an absolute shocker with tech on any of your runs i think my main one is just really speaks more to how overly reliant on it so i'm trying really hard to get better at navigation because i'm way too reliant on like phone apps and i was um running up to kader Idris in snowdonia last year I was wearing a new running pack, the pocket was a bit smaller than my old one, and I'd gone up this horrible scree slope, and my phone tumbled down this scree slope and, like, vanished into the scree below. And I did manage to get it back, but I just remember thinking, I've really got to learn how to read a proper map, because I just, it just made me realise how reliant I was on it, to be honest. So it wasn't the tech's fault, but... I was lost at the thought of the that phone being gone. The general weak point in the tech is you, yes. basically. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> Jamie, you've got a disaster? Not hugely, but I think disasters for me are when I'm, you know, I'm out on the road and, I've, and I haven't charged my... And, and it goes off. Oh, oh that's annoying. Oh, that's annoying. So, so annoying. So you're, so you're seven minutes into a run and... Beep. And it goes... <laughs> and you've run out of battery. And I that is my... Disaster. It doesn't happen that often, but that's a disaster yeah. for me. <laughs> I once entered a 50-mile race and I had the route on my watch and somehow 
I, I had it going the wrong way. So it kept trying to send me back to oh. the start. So I was like, oh. I basically felt like I was running the route in reverse oh. and I had to try and work backwards on the map oh the whole way around. It was awful. Anyway, so what you've realised here is we are absolutely useless with tech, but we are great at bringing you awesome content for the <laughs> yeah. National Running Show pod show. And I'd like to remind you of the Runderwear competition. Don't forget that if you follow the show notes, you can enter into a draw to win £100 of Runderwear vouchers. Or if you go to the Runderwear website, you can use their code PODSHOW to get 10% off. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We will see you same time next week. Thanks. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for watching. Please leave a review if you're listening and also like, subscribe, comment. Let us know what all your thoughts are if you're watching on YouTube. Oh, and don't forget that our sponsors, Runderwear, are giving away another £100. So please check out the notes in this podcast to find out how you can win and check out the first two episodes to see how you can enter those competitions.